I don't know about you guys, but I love me some Richmond, Virginia. You guys Richmond fans? Yeah, yeah. So it's really a great, great place. And, and if you're new here to the city, man, like explore good weekend to go to River Rock to do. There's just a lot of great things that go on in this city. Um, and I've been to a lot of cities uh, in North America. I've probably been to every major city in North America. There's, there's some that are still on my list but that I'd like to see, but I've seen a lot of them. And there's some great stuff out there. Uh, there's stuff about a lot of cities that I really like I, uh, to, to visit and, and check out. And, and even globally, um, Paris is one of my favorite cities in the world. I just read something this week about London that was describing London in such glowing terms. I was like, oh man, I can't wait to go back to London. And, and, I've, and I've spent some time in Asia and been fortunate enough to, to see some really cool things there. And even in the Middle East, to some degree, uh, I've been to a few different places in Israel and in Turkey and, and stuff. And so uh, I've had a, a really great opportunity to see great cities around the world. And, and, I, and I fall in love easily, honestly. I'm, I'm like a contestant on The Bachelor. Like I just go, I'm like, oh, maybe she's the one, you know, I see this new city. I'm like, she's awesome, you know, or whatever. But I'm always drawn back to Richmond. Uh, and I, yes, I have a home here, so of course I, I come back here, but, but I just love this place. It doesn't have the best weather. It, it doesn't have the most affordable housing. It doesn't have the best public transportation. It doesn't have the, like, all, all throughout. It's not the best uh, of, of anything. It's just a lot of so many good things kind of thrown in together that I just love uh, being here, and I'm a huge fan of it. Now, I, I, I may sound like I work for the city. I, I don't. Um, I'm not the mayor. I'm not even in the school board. My influence then in this city is in the faith community, in, in the church, primarily this one, but in other churches as well, trying to use my voice to, to help believers in God rise up and love and serve the city even more. That's a calling that I felt is what drove me to plant a church here eight years ago is, man, I want to get people invested in loving and serving this city. And that calling to love and serve the city goes way deep, not just in me, but in, in the people of God in Scripture. If you go back thousands of years, you see God telling his people, hey, love and serve the city that you're in. In fact, there's a, in the Old Testament in the year uh, 586 B.C., uh, Jerusalem was ransacked by the Babylonians. And this happened many times in the history of Israel, that they were living there in Jerusalem, they get invaded. Well, Jerusalem gets ransacked, and many Israelites are carried off as slaves to the Babylonian Empire, the capital of which is Babylon, which is modern-day Baghdad. So they go east of Israel, they end up in Baghdad. And the Israelites now have to live for years among the Babylonians, and they're living there in exile. And they don't like it. They don't like the Babylonians. They think their music is gross. They think their food is gross. They think their religion is horrible. Like all the ethnic issues that kind of kick up when you're in a foreign culture, these guys are feeling it as they live there as slaves in the Babylonian empire. And so they don't like where they're at. And in the midst of their exile in Babylon, God speaks to his people, the Israelites. He speaks up through a prophet named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah records it. It's written in Jeremiah in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 29. I want you to hear what God says to his people. Uh, Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. All right, just let that sink in for a second. God sent them there to exile. But wait, we were invaded and carried off as slaves. And God's like, yeah, that was actually part of my plan also. That's not a comfortable thought to think about too long. 
But, but there it is. God says, no, I, you're, you're, where I, you're where I put you. I know you think this is awful. This is where I want you for now. And what, here's his instructions to the people in exile. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. God says to his people who feel stuck in exile, he says, guys, I want you to make something of the spot that you're in. And the instructions he gave them, build houses, plant gardens and eat the food, uh, get married, your children, have them get married as well, do not decrease. In other words, keep having babies, keep multiplying while you're in exile. Man, I'm thinking, how bad do these Israelites feel that they're considering not having children anymore? They're like, let's just pack it in. All is lost. We'll never be back in Jerusalem. We'll never be in our homeland. Let's just not even have kids here. Like, how dark is it when you feel that way? I remember when my oldest son was born, our firstborn child, and uh, two weeks before he was born, we did the, do you remember the shock and awe of the, of the second Gulf War? Do you remember that being on the news and we're watching this invasion happening in Babylon, Baghdad, you know, uh, you're watching this going on. Um, and, and I remember seeing that and thinking, man, this is bad. This is just like, this is, uh, this is dark. And I'm thinking about bringing a child then into this world. Like, do I really want to do this? Do I want to bring a kid into uh, what, a, what a messed up world this is? So they were hopeless and God says, I want you to increase. And he says, you, I want you to seek the welfare of the city to which I've sent you in exile. In other words, make Babylon great is what God tells them. And they're like, we don't want to make Babylon great. We hate Babylon. And God's like, no, make it great. Because here's what happens. When you get involved, when you build houses, when you grow things, when you grow your family, when you serve in the PTA, you get involved in the Babylon homeless shelter, whatever you do to serve, as you get involved there, as you make Babylon great, it's going to be great for you. The rising tide will raise all the boats. Love and serve the city. Seek its welfare. The, the Hebrew word is shalom. Seek the shalom, the peace, the flourishing of the city. If you will do that, it's going to be good for you. It doesn't matter if your kids are in those schools or whatever. Just help make it better. And it, it's going to be good for everyone. That's what God tells, uh, tells the, tells the Is- Israelites in 500-something uh, BC. And so today I want to talk about how we can love and serve this city that we live in and how we can make it better. This is part of our series. We've been doing this series for a couple weeks now called Get Out There. And that, the basic idea is God gives us a commission. Jesus, before he left earth, he said, look, I want you to go into all the world to make disciples of all nations. In other words, you have a purpose and a mission. If you're a follower of Jesus, I don't know what your calling is in life or exactly what you're going to do or what the will of God is or what the perfect plan of God is. I know generally your calling from God is this, be a disciple who makes disciples wherever you go. Follow him, help other people to follow him. That's what we're all called to do. It doesn't matter what your job title is, your vocation. We're all called to be someone who follows him and help other people to follow him. So Jesus says, go, get out there, go into all the world. And so two weeks ago when we started this series, we said, Look, if we're going to go, if we're going to share our faith, if we're going to speak up and tell other people about Jesus, it's going to be uncomfortable for us. It doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel secure. It feels risky. And so we talked about, hey, some of the greatest things in life are going to happen when you get uncomfortable. 
So we talked about that first. And then last week I said, okay, well, what's a context where you could get out there, that you could share your faith, that you could speak up? I said, how about you walk out into your front porch and look around and see your neighbors? How about in your own neighborhood? Get to know your neighbors. Love and serve them well. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be isolated from them. Get to know those folks. Build some bridges right here in your own neighborhood. And today I want to talk about how we could, we could answer that. You got it? All right, okay. Today I want to talk about how you could get out of your neighborhood and, and share your faith even beyond your block or, or into other parts of, of, of the city. And to do that, I want, I want you to look at, uh, I, want, I want to walk you through a little bit of the history of the early church. So Jesus leaves, uh, leaves his physical presence here at earth and he sends the Holy Spirit to the apostles, his, his followers. And he gave them the great commission, but he also gave them this commission in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a history book about the early church. And right there at the beginning, listen to what Jesus says to his followers, Acts chapter 1. And I want you to hear this the way they would have heard it. So he says, Jesus tells his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, four locations, he says. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to share your faith. You're going to get out there. You're going to speak up in four places, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Okay. You guys are probably not from a Jewish background, most of you. So let me tell you how a first century Jew is going to hear what Jesus says. Jesus says, I need you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. If you're a first century Jew, like these guys were, you would go, oh, Jerusalem, yes, I get it. I like that. That's my city. Those are my people. The temple's there. This is a great place to worship God. I'm going to talk to him about Jesus. Got it. This will be comfortable. This will be easy ethnically, racially. These are my people. They get me. I get them. I get their culture. Cool. I can do it. All right, I'll go to Jerusalem. And then he says, and in all Judea. Well, Judea is the surrounding countryside. So if Jerusalem, in modern terms, if Jerusalem's our Richmond, let's look at it that way. Judea is Virginia, okay? It's the area around. And these disciples, they're going, okay, Judea has a lot of country bumpkins, but we're actually country bumpkins, so that's going to be fine. We'll get together with them in Jerusalem. We'll drive around our big pickup trucks with our gun racks and fly flags, and it's going to be fine. We, will, we know how to talk to those people because those are our people. Like, we get it. Jerusalem, Judea, no problem. Then G- Jesus says, you're going to be my witness in Samaria. Wait, hold up. Samaria? We talked about this a little bit last week. The Samaritans are a group of Jews who were ethnically Jewish, but then had intermarried with other local population there, the non-Jews. And so to the purebred Jews, they would look at the Samaritans as like half-breeds. And they're like, ew, those people, they're dirty. We don't even like to walk into their, their country, their, their little region. We don't even like going into Samaria because those people aren't real Jews like we are. And so there's a bit of, and I don't think this is anachronistic, I, there's a bit of racism in the disciples as they contemplate what Jesus is saying. They're like, oh, we have to go to the Samaritans? Yuck. I don't like those folks. I don't know what the best modern equivalent of that from a region perspective. Think of like the next region nearby. I don't know. How do you feel about North Carolina? Maybe that's how they felt about the Samaritans. Or like, how do you feel about West Virginia? Or, or how do you feel about Yankees, both fans of the team and people who live out north? You're like, oh, Yankee, you know, or whatever. Or, or maybe for you, it's like Southerners. You're like, oh, they're so weird, the Southern culture and whatever. That's a little bit of, of what they're going to be feeling as they hear this about going to Samaria. Samaria. And they're like, oh, those folks. And then finally, Jesus says, and you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. 
oh man, that kicks up all sorts of stuff inside you about culture, about race, about language. How am I even going to speak their language? How am I going to be witnesses in India or or to the ends of the earth to them is like the Roman Empire, the Greeks, the Romans, North Africa, India, like these spaces. And they're probably thinking, I don't want to go to those people because we're Jewish and those people are Gentiles. Gentiles are like the non-Jews. And the Jews would refer to Gentiles as dogs. That was their name for them. Not in a cute way. They think that the Gentiles are subhuman. And so when Jesus says, you're going to go to the ends of the earth, they're sitting there going, ew, I don't even like those people. And you want me to get out there and and share my faith with them? Ugh, this is awful. And so there's all sorts of race stuff that kind of kicks up for them as Jesus tells them to go out. So what do they do? If you go back and read, you can do this later. If you read Acts chapter 1 through 9, here's what you're going to see. The, the disciples are doing ministry in and around Jerusalem only. And uh, scholars estimate that even Acts 1 through 9 is like 20 or 30 years. So really, when Jesus says, go into all the world, the disciples were like, cool, how about we just stay in Jerusalem? And they stay there for decades, just hanging out, doing ministry. And there's a lot of work there to do. So don't get me wrong. I mean, like, their own backyard mission begins here. We got to do the thing here. They're in Jerusalem, and, and, and who can blame them? Wouldn't you and I do the same thing? I mean, everybody likes to be around people who are like them, like them, right? Everybody, so they get into a neighborhood in Jerusalem, and they're good there. They get their kids into the Jerusalem public school system, and it's pretty good. And they're like, all right, well, hang out here. They're at the Jerusalem YMCA membership, or Y. MJA or whatever they have, you know, they're, they're, they're plugged in, their kids are playing Jerusalem Little League, like why do we need to leave? We're very comfortable here. And so you see them there until in, in Acts 8 and 9 you see uh, persecution hit the church in Jerusalem and it, and it says that they had to scatter. And first you see them going to Samaria and out into Judea and eventually further out as, as the book of Acts continues on. That's crazy to me. Persecution is the tool that God uses to drive the church out and help it fulfill its mission. That's wild to me because if I'm experiencing persecution, if you're experiencing persecution, we're sitting there going, something has gone terribly wrong. Why are people throwing us in jail? Why are people angry? Why are they beating people? Whatever, like, God, what are you doing? And yet, God is using that to drive the church out and help it fulfill its mission. So this takes us to Acts chapter 10, because once the disciples get out and they start spreading the faith, they have to come face-to-face with their own biases, and and they have to come face-to-face with their own racism, honestly. So in Acts chapter 10, we have recorded a story of a guy named Cornelius, and I'll give you a little summary of it, and then we'll read a piece of it. Cornelius is is an Italian guy, so he's a Gentile, but he is praying to God, to the God, and God hears his prayers. And God appears to Cornelius in a vision, or sends an angel to appear to Cornelius in a vision. He has this trance-like vision thing. And in the vision, he's, he's told, hey, Cornelius, God's here, heard your prayers. Go find Peter and bring him to you, and he will tell you about me. So Cornelius gets this vision. I've got to find this guy named Peter and bring him to me. He's going to be in this town. I need to go find him. While this is going on, Peter has a vision. And this is early in the book, in, in Acts chapter 10, uh, early in that chapter. Peter has a vision. Now, here's Peter's vision. Uh, Peter is uh, in Joppa, which is modern-day Tel Aviv, on the coast of Israel. He's there, and he's praying, and he has this vision uh, of this, this blanket or this, this kind of sheet being lowered 
uh, in front of him, and on it are animals. And the animals that are on it are the ones that Jews would not eat. So ceremonially or religiously unclean animals. So like pigs, for example. The Jews, you know, Orthodox Jews today wouldn't eat that, right? So he, has, he sees this, the, this, these animals on there, and he hears a voice, and the voice says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's response is a good Jewish guy. He's like, no, I'm not going to eat that stuff. Which is crazy to me because I would think that's the easiest command God's ever given that you could follow. God basically is like, Peter, have the bacon. Come on. I'd be like, here am I, Lord. Send me. Thank you. Yes. I will eat the bacon. I will take one for the team. And, you know, so whatever. But that's not where they were at, right? So God says, eat the bacon. Peter's like, I don't want it's, And it's a pig, like on a, in a blanket, on a blanket, pig in a blanket. I don't know. It's like, comes down. I couldn't help it. <laughs> I, I accidentally made that joke for service, and now I'm really making it for you. Um, it's, there's a pig on a blanket, and, and, and so three times Peter is told, eat this, and he's like, no, I can't. And then he's told, don't call uh, common or unclean things that God has made clean. So God's trying to make a point to Peter with this thing, like, hey, I know you think this stuff is off limits, but you need to think bigger. You need to think wider about, about this whole, whole thing. So some guys show up, and they bring Peter to Cornelius' house and said, hey, Cornelius needs to speak to you, and, and they, they take him there. And, and, and don't miss this. If Peter's going to go into Cornelius' house there's all sorts of weird, awkward, cultural Jew-Gentile things going on there. Basically, let me put it in modern terms, Peter's going to that neighborhood on the other side of the tracks that you just don't want to go to. You don't want to be there late at night. You don't want to whatever. That's where Peter's going. And he feels awkward about it. Mm, I shouldn't be here. He walks into Cornelius' house, and he's probably like, oh, it smells funny in here. These people cook weird things. Those other people, they do weird stuff. Oh, they have religious symbols on the wall. That's weird. I shouldn't be here. This is awkward. So Peter meets Cornelius in his house, and, and look at what goes down. Acts chapter 10, we'll pick it up in verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up, I too am a man. In other words, he's like, yo, I'm not God, like, dial it down. Um, And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. So Peter walks in. He's like, hey, I'm a Jew. You guys are not. You guys even know this. This is awkward for me. Uh, there's a race thing going on here. I'm in with a different ethnic group, and I'm not even supposed to, but here's what God is teaching me, Peter says. God has told me, hey, all are in, bro. All have the opportunity to know God. God's heart is not just for Jews. This is some, that, sounds radi- that sounds not radical to us, but it was radical to him. God's heart is for all ethnic, economic, social, cultural nations and groups. That God has a heart for the world. And, and, and for Peter, that's hard to swallow because uh, he's used to being Jewish, which is God's favorite people. That's his, that's his mindset. I'm God's favorite. 
And so God is like, no, that's not how it works. all, All people have the opportunity to come know me. So he says to Cornelius, what do you want from me? Here I am. And Cornelius says, hey, God gave me a vision too, and he had me send for you. Now that right there would have blown Peter away. Peter's like, oh my gosh, God is, God is also appearing to Gentile people? Like, that's weird. But my God spoke to you and, 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 sent, and had you send for me. And in that moment, the light bulb really comes on for Peter about ethnic and race and all this stuff. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, here's the key phrase, I think. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation accepts, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. It is a radical, radical thought for Peter. He's realizing, oh wait, God has a heart for the world. Not that everybody's in, not every single person on the planet is going to be part of the family of God, but God is open to anyone who will accept him and do what is right and follow after him. The the door has been thrown wide open as far as Peter's concerned, and he gets it, he gets in his own gut, oh, I'm not racially special because I'm Jewish. Um, This thing is for the world, and that God is not bound by race or ethnicity. This is revolutionary stuff. It's rev- and really, it's one of the things that helped Christianity spread as it has up until this day. Christianity today has about 1.8 billion people who claim it worldwide. Judaism has about 15 million. There's a huge difference there. And part of the difference is that Christianity has baked into its core this isn't t- tied to race or ethnicity. Everybody gets to be in and has the opportunity to come to know God. And Judaism is mostly tied to, are you Jewish or not? Like, were you born ethnically, uh, culturally, are you Jewish? And even to convert to Judaism for many years, uh, to convert to Judaism as an adult male, you'd have to agree to be circumcised. You can imagine that's not a good recruiting tool for your religion, right? Like, so Christianity comes along and they're like, you just need to get baptized. They're like, cool. That, that sounds great, <laughs> right? So, so Christianity has grown and spread um, because it, it transcends culture and can get across racial lines. So what does this mean for us today? Well, if Jesus is calling us to get out there to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, Richmond, Virginia, other regions globally, what, what would that look like? Um, I want to talk about two aspects, one the local and one the global. First on the local, let's say Richmond is our Jerusalem. So if we're going to um, fulfill the Great Commission from Jesus, if we start here, what does it look like to, to reach this city? Well, I think you have to have a good understanding culturally, ethnically, racially, what is going on in this city. You need to be aware of the issues that were going on long before any of us got here. What's, what what culture do we find ourselves in? I actually found some interesting maps. The 2010 census, you can look this up. I think this is actually University of Virginia has this. Um, you can, I zoomed in here. This is Richmond. Um, this is the racialized map based on the 2010 census of the Richmond area. Blue is white people. Green is black people. Orange is Hispanic. And red is Asian. I know it's hard to see up there on the screen. But I think if you get a general sense where the word Richmond is, that's the heart of it. You can kind of see where the fan starts near downtown and goes out to the west 
uh, through the museum district, 195, whatever, and then continuing out, you got Broad Street up there, or, or 64, whatever, um, and then going out west into the West End, you've got uh, the Asian pocket right around like Tan A Market, like at Glenside kind of area. Further out west, um, beyond 264, uh, or, oh, sorry, beyond 295, uh, you've got like Twin Hickory with Capital One. You've got a lot of Asian uh, immigration into that area. Um, and then out the east end of, of Richmond uh, is sort of the African-American population, east and south. A lot of cities in the country look like that on some level. Basically, they look like these people live here, these people live here, and there's definite lines where they don't cross. In downtown Richmond, it's basically downtown. West of downtown, white people. East of downtown, maybe north and south, uh, African-American population, right? That, that's, that's what you see. This was done not on accident. This was done on purpose in Richmond. Um, the, the, the dividing of, of racial lines and saying, you people live here, you people live here. Uh, and it was done that way on purpose in many cities across this country. And if you look at maps of Chicago and other places, you'll see a very similar thing broken up. Now, some of it maybe is natural. Hey, I, I want to live near people like me. And some of it is very intentional. I want to keep these people out of my backyard. Okay, so let's just own that. Let's be honest about it. This is what's going on. There's a lot of maps I could show you because... This breakdown of the city is just by color, but when you start looking at poverty, education, uh, connection to transportation, economic opportunity, uh, when you start looking at all of those things, all, if I was to lay all of those maps over this map, they basically look the same. In fact, I'll just show you one map. There's a map called the Opportunity Map. This is a, a, like a, a com combining of education, transportation, economic opportunities, health, uh, health resources, all in one map. It's called the Opportunity Map. This is it. And this map, the darker the color, the more opportunity you have. So looking at downtown Richmond and going west, that's where the opportunity is. And out east and south, a lot less opportunity. That lines up with the previous map really well, right? Like there's something going on here, the, the way these things are aligned. Now, I could, we could do this all day with all sorts of maps, and we could go into the history, and we could talk about uh, choices the legislature made in 1970. We could talk about the annexation of, of Southside. We could talk about where Poe Parkway was put and why. We could talk about where public housing was built and why. We could, I mean, there's so many stories to tell of Richmond because this city has a long race history. I don't have time to get into all that. I've done some of that in sermons before. But if you want to know more, let me give you a great opportunity. We are starting a four-week class in June at Area 10 called Get Out There. Clever, right? It's connected to this. And we're going to go through this stuff, and you're going to get a good sense of your city. If you don't, if any of that's new information to you, or you don't know kind of where this all came from and where we're going and what, what opportunities and challenges are in front of us, take the class on Tuesday nights in June called Get Out There. Sign up through your Area 10 app. Sign up through, the, uh, we should post about it on Facebook. Sign up through our webpage. And, and learn more. There's great stuff out there to find out what's going on in, in the city. Um, so uh, if, if I was to go back to November uh, and talk about the election, which we have so much PTSD about the election this past year, I don't know if anybody wants me to bring it up. But let's just talk about the mayoral election. There was at least one candidate for mayor who was saying there are two Richmonds. And there are other candidates who are like, there's not two Richmonds, there's one Richmond. Well, I think when you look at the map, 
you can see what the two Richmond candidate was saying. It's like, hey, there's people who are having a very different experience of Richmond. There's two different groups, or at least two groups, that are having a very different experience of what it means to live in this city and in the surrounding, or surrounding counties. Um, and maybe it's divisive to say there's two Richmonds, because there's really one. We're all, we're all in this thing together. But just because Richmond is awesome for me doesn't mean it's awesome for everybody. And just because I'm having a good experience of it doesn't mean it's a good experience for everyone. And we need to be aware of that and see what's going on and see what the opportunities are. And if we are going to seek the welfare of the city to which God has sent us, if we are going to be about the peace and the prosperity and the shalom of this city, we can't just be about the peace of our own block. We have to think of the whole thing. What's going on here? How can we be involved? So what can be done? What can be done about all this? Well, the first step, I think, is to admit we have a problem and admit there's something going on here in the city that we're in. And then let me give you two, two quick ideas of, of how we can be involved and, and, and address this. Number one, you can live in the city. Buy a house here, rent a house here, in neighborhoods, in the 64 square miles that is the city of Richmond. This church is called Area 10. A lot of you have been coming here for years, you still don't even know what that means. <laughs> Some people ask, they're like, what is the Area 10 thing? It's just the, the real estate designation for the heart of the city from the top of Cary Street here through downtown, through Church Hill. That's called Area 10 on a real estate map, map south, to the city, south to the river, north to, to the interstate. That's Area 10. Uh, and so um, move into it. L- live in the city and serve here and love your neighbors well and get involved here in the city of Richmond um, instead of being in the counties. Now, there's always pushback on that. There's plenty of reasons why people move to the counties. And I've heard, the, I've heard it before. I've gotten the emails whenever I've talked about this. And I haven't talked about this from stage for a long time. Whenever I talk about it, I get the pushback. But Chris, uh, my, my family, we want to live over here. It's this high school and we want to do... I get it. I get the reasons why people move to the counties. I understand the opportunity that's there. I, I can see the opportunity map as well and see how it shapes out. I totally understand taxes, crime, school systems. These are the reasons, probably in reverse order of that. School systems probably the number one reason. But i tell you also what I've seen. I've seen families stay in the city and raise their children here of all ages. It can be done. It's going to be tricky. There's going to be some different things you're going to have to work out. But it, it can be done. And so uh, I just want to challenge you to think intentionally, where are we living? Where are we investing? Where are we loving and serving? Um, and, and think through that stuff. There's lots of reasons to go to the county, which I understand, but there are also reasons to stay and be involved here and to seek the flourishing of this place. Now, not everybody's going to live in the city, and I understand that. So the second thing I would say, too, if, even if you don't live in the city, you need to love the city. Love the place where God has placed us. And one of the things I've been impressed about in this church is that even as people that I have known have, have served here at the church and been involved in the city and have moved out to the county, they still stay engaged and they still serve and they still see this as a mission field. They still see this as an opportunity to love and serve this place. So there's people in this church, in this room right now, who live all over that map. And that's fine. But just love here and, and serve here and, and seek the flourishing of, of this place. And maybe we can get better regional cooperation as more people, if there's people in the counties who are city-minded, um, may, maybe that can, that can help move, move the ball further down the field for the, the city of Richmond. Next Sunday, you're going to hear from people who are serving in this city. We're going to have a panel of people up here, and, and you're going to hear how love compels them to go. 
God's love for them compels them to go out and serve others and, and work across racial lines, across ethnic groups, or social, social groups uh, to, to love and serve. And, and hopefully you'll come away with some great ideas of how you can be involved also. Now, if we're going to love and serve the city, we're going to have to deal with our own racial biases. Um, now, I could talk about racism, uh, but the problem is that word kicks up all sorts of stuff in people, and like you say racism, and people's ears like close. They're like, oh, I don't want racism. I'm not racist. I'm, I'm not racist, you know, and it's always like, I'm not racist. I have one friend who is this other, ethnic, you know, it's like our, as our answer. No, I had that one friend that one time. Um, because you bring up racism and you think, you talk about Trayvon Martin, you want to talk about Charleston, you want to talk about Baltimore, already that kicks up feelings in people. Well, Trayvon Martin deserved blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, hold on. Let's not talk about racism for a second. Let's talk about what is a real thing inside all of us. And it, black, white, red, yellow, whatever we are, here's a real thing. Implicit racial bias. We all have it. We all see people as other in some way. And we make conclusions. The definition of implicit racial bias is attitudes or stereotypes that affect our understand, uh, understanding actions and decisions in an unconscious manner. So attitudes and stereotypes that affects in an unconscious manner uh, how we feel about other groups. So the trick is don't let them be unconscious. Start moving them into your consciousness so you're aware of how you're behaving towards other other groups. There's actually an implicit racial bias quiz. Uh, we will uh, put it out on Facebook this week so you can take it. You can take the quiz and go, okay, where am I at with this? Because you may think, oh, I'm totally, I have no racial biases. Just take the quiz and see. See what's going on. See how you feel um, about groups that are different than you. And uh, it'll, it'll be the best quiz you've taken since that one about are you a good kisser that you took in high school. Um, I, I think the key here is awareness is to start being aware of what have I got going on in my own stuff. That was key for Peter when he said, I now understand that God shows no partiality. He needed that very vivid thing, God getting his attention with the, the food and the blanket and all that. He needed that to help him be aware of his own bias. Okay, so locally, Jerusalem, Richmond. But I want to talk about the global piece for a second. God calls us to go to the ends of the earth. Um, that means we reach out not just in this city, but to the globe. This church has been involved in Vietnam since we started in 2008. And we serve there. We send teams there. We're sending a team there next month. And primarily right now, we're serving with the SS3 orphanage on the outskirts of Hanoi. So from our capital city to their capital city, we are sending people to love and serve there. And we're supporting local workers who are there to increase their capacity to help them reach more people there. That's an awesome thing. It's a great connection. If you... Um, People who orphan care, there's really good work that can be done there. And so we're doing that in Vietnam. Also, we have been involved in Haiti for years. And in Haiti, we were working with Pastor Anik. Pastor Anik was a pastor of a church in northern Haiti. And we were helping their church love their own city there beyond reason up in the mountains. We're not working in Haiti right now because uh, there's been some threats against Pastor Anik's life. There's been some people sort of ratting him out or whatever to, like, people within his church uh, are, are, are talking to local people about him and getting people worked up. And so it's not safe for him or his family to be there. He's actually come to Richmond and is now here in, in, at Area 10 with us uh, as a refugee because there's people there that want him and his family dead. 
And so that's not an opportunity. We don't have the capacity to be working in there right now. And so we're not saying we'll never go back to Haiti, but right now we've got a pause button on it. And we're saying, okay, let's reevaluate and figure out how we can be involved here again. And then recently we've been in Turkey. We've, uh, we sent a team there uh, just last month. I was part of that. And we're looking at possibilities of working in Turkey long-term. We don't know if we're going to. We don't know how it's going to work. But there's a great opportunity there. A country that is got huge, uh, has huge Christian roots to it. If you look at the book of Revelation, there's seven churches listed in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. All seven of those are in Turkey. And now, thousands of years later, there's hardly any Christians in Turkey. It's 99.7% Muslim. There are less than 5,000 Christians in the entire country of 75 million people. And we're looking at some opportunities to plant churches there among cities where nobody knows about Jesus. Like if you wanted to find out about Jesus, you wouldn't even know anyone who knows anyone. So we're looking at some opportunities of being involved there and helping plant some churches there. We're looking at ways that we can go. And maybe God's calling you to go, to move to one of these places full time to go short-term and have your mind blown and have your world expanded about how God is at work around the globe. We'll give you opportunities. We'll take teams to, to these places and say, and here's, where, here's where God is at work so that you can be changed and you can move forward and understand the mission of God in the world. So maybe your next step to get out there is to take one of those global trips. The call for all of us is to get out of our comfort zones, to get out of our houses and meet our neighbors, to get out of our neighborhoods and see what's going on in our city, and, and, and to even get out of the city and see what God is doing around the globe. It's not should we do those things. The question is just when and how. When is the right time and, and how, will I, how will I go about it? Um, hear God's call on this. And maybe the question is how specifically is God calling you out today? Let's pray. God, speak to us and, and uh, in our hearts about next steps. Help us to uh, reach outside of our, our comfort zones, outside of our houses, outside of our neighborhoods, and seek the welfare of this great city that you've planted us in. Uh, Lord, we love it here, um, but we know there's still lots of things that need to be addressed, and, and help us as a church to be the best church for the city of Richmond that we can really love and serve in this place where we find ourselves. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.